most of us may have found a passion or two in our teenage years. More often than not, these passions turn out to be a passing fancy that runs its course before we make it out of the teens. Hello and welcome to another episode of College Matters, Alma Matters. Dr. Subhashish Das Gupta was unique in that he pursued his passion for information systems, IS for short, and made a career out of it. He liked it enough to get a PhD and is now sharing his passion with future generations through his teaching and research at George Washington University. So without any delay, let's hear his story directly from Dr. Das Gupta. Hello, Dr. Subhashesh Das Gupta. Yes, thank you. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. Good, thank you. Welcome to our podcast, uh, College Matters, Alma Matters. Um, thank you for making the time. So um, I thought it uh, would be a great opportunity to have you reflect and share your professional journey uh, for our audience. Uh, we, we are basically catering to international um, aspirants uh, who typically are looking at studying the U.S., Canada, that sort of thing. But typically we are focused on students who are looking to come to the U.S., uh, mainly undergraduate programs at this point. And so um, thought it would be a great idea to um, have them hear directly from people like you who are in the system and have been part of the faculty. So I thought it would be very interesting to sort of uh, talk to you about that. Well, thank you for having me. Sure thing. So maybe the best way to get started is uh, from the beginning, as they say. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, maybe you could share your professional background and what motivated you to come to the U.S. Uh, for your studies. Well, um, I, I came to the U.S. about 30 years ago um, mm -hmm. for my graduate work, my, for my doctoral work, PhD mm -hmm. in, mm -hmm. in information systems. Mm -hmm. And um, if I go back um, in, in my educational career, I started off with uh, a Bachelor of Science, uh, a BS or a BSc, as they call it in India, BSc sure. in, in sure. physics. Mm -hmm. And then... and an MBA in information systems and operations research. Mm -hmm. it, was, um, it was at that time after I finished the MBA in information systems, I, I realized that that was what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to work in the area of information systems. But this mm -hmm. was in the mid-1980s, so which sure. was uh, very early on in this, the computing revolution, the information revolution as we see it. Mm -hmm. And uh, after finishing my MBA, I worked for a year for Wipro uh, Technologies in India. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I wanted to study further in the, in, uh, in the area of information systems. And then the, it seemed like the, the, a PhD was the next logical step. Sure. And that's when I started exploring uh, coming to the U.S. for, a doc for doctoral work. There's also a very really interesting story on my family side. My dad, who, who um, was an electrical engineer by profession, mm -hmm. and he had seen computers come into, he worked for a multinational firm, so he saw sure. computers come into his firm, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and they were primarily, these were like these huge machines that took up a lot of space. They were mainframes. And uh-huh. all they would do is, you know, crunch numbers. Right. And they would print paychecks. And, uh-huh. and given his background in electrical engineering, he thought these machines have no future. Uh-huh. And, and he, when, when I surprised him by saying that in my MBA that I loved coding and I, I want to do information systems, uh-huh. he basically looked at me and thought that I was, unemplo- <laughs> I was unemployable. And he, this, this kid is not going to get employed in, the, in, in India. So yeah. if he wants to go abroad, maybe let him go. And, uh, and that's when he, he told me that, you know, yeah, wherever you want to go, um, you go ahead and do it. And then it was, and, but we have come a long way. Look where computing, sure. he, could, he couldn't have predicted what, what happened to computing and the internet after that. So you come to the U.S. and um, so how did you pick Baroque College or, um, and, and, you know, how was that experience once you got here? I think picking the college was an important process. Um, mm-hmm. Although at that time there was no internet, and uh, the way we got access to information about colleges was writing to them directly or to go to the local U.S. Educational Foundation in India, the USEFI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they had these huge libraries in the uh, in the U.S. Uh, library centers and things like that, and the USEFI center. So I was in Kolkata at that time. Uh-huh. Uh, at that time called Calcutta um, sure. and, then, and I used to go to this library and spend the entire day um, going through these books mostly there were the Peterson's guides yes, they're yes. still around but maybe in more <laughs> electronic form and we used yeah. to go over all of them and, and the things that that um, drove the selection of colleges when you look at this big thick book and you want to reduce the number of colleges that you can apply to that you know that you cannot apply to many of them because you just have to work with maybe five or ten colleges at the uh-huh. most and we uh-huh. were looking at five colleges because even those application fees were very expensive sure and so then reducing that list you, you go by discipline first and you take all the information systems and going to a phd program it was a little easier for me because not there are three thousand odd colleges in the u.s mm-hmm look at only the doctoral granting institutions that might just bring it down to, I don't know the exact number, but I'm just sure. coming up at that time. It could have been maybe 200, 250, sure. Sure. Uh, giving, um, giving doctoral um, in, the, in, uh, in the information systems right. uh, area. So then reducing it to that, that and then, then looking for you know, the good schools, the, of course, the obvious names, the big names, the Ivy Leagues, yeah, um, you know the the Columbia's and 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 the um, you know the and the non-IVs also, but good state schools like the in like University of Virginia and and others. Mm-hmm. So we we looked at all these all these um, I looked at all these things and uh, all these colleges and reduced the the number that I probably could apply to to a subset of you know to a a number of around twenty twenty five and yeah. then. Um, forgive me, it's been a long time, so I'm trying to recall. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah sure, I know. And, uh, and, then, and then came down to a list of about 15 that I wrote to. Uh-huh. 
uh, to say that I'm interested in the doctoral program. I want to look at the curriculum and, you know, I want to, and then what was the most important thing at that time, and I'm sure it is even now, is, you know, what kind of financial aid do you provide? Uh, sure. Um, you know, tuition waivers or graduate assistantships and, and things that can help me with my, yeah. with my studies. And that's how I, re I restricted the list down to five, um, it, actually about five or seven colleges. And I don't remember exactly the number. And then I applied to those colleges. Uh, among those colleges, I think I got, it, it was very competitive, I thought, uh, or maybe my selection was, maybe I was reaching too, too high. Uh -huh. And I got um, admission to two colleges. Um, I don't remember the second one offhand. Um, but it was a state school. Um, I think it was in Iowa or Iowa State, or one of those mm -hmm. colleges, mm -hmm. and um, in the doctoral program. And the other was Baruch. Mm -hmm. And um, I also had a cousin who, who had just moved to New Jersey at that time. Sure. And of course, the attraction of New York. And, yeah, and, yeah. And the, the decide on Baruch was the. Um, they gave me a full full aid, a free ride for for uh, four years, and that sure. that changed the decision for me. Although, you know, these are things that I think most um, students should or aspiring candidates should look at. Is that you know, first of all, program that you're applying to, yeah, you know, what kind of aid is available, and then you know, there are other aspects to look at, but we can discuss that further. So, um, so once you are in Baruch, uh, how was that experience? I, I mean, obviously, big change. But uh, right. how, how, as you reflect, look back, how, how did you feel that went? That was interesting because um, um, New York at that time, and this way I'm talking about the late 80s, I'm talking sure. 1980, 89 or yeah. so. Uh, New York is, was very different from what it is now. Well, I, you might even argue that New York is the same, and, yeah. and <laughs> that, that was thirty years ago. But yes, some parts of it, most of it, was, is the same. But but the thing is that it was it was a it was a different city in a way uh -huh. um, because um, when I came here, um, one thing that really helped me in in being in the New York. Let me talk about the location first, and then I can sure. talk about Baruch. Um, is that the fact that my cousin, my first cousin, had moved to New Jersey, and you know, they, I had some family to pick me up from the airport, and you know, take them, take me home, and then help me find an apartment in in New York City. Sure. So that helped a lot, and that that extended network, and not everyone has that, mm -hmm. can be really helpful. Um, New York, um, uh, Baruch was excellent. Uh, this Baruch was excellent in the sense that it was it had a very strong research. Um, mm -hmm component in their program. Mm -hmm. They had strong researchers from some top, some top researchers in the areas of information systems. So then I had all these well-known professors who I could work with and explore my interests because even within information systems, I had to choose a sub area yeah. to specialize in. So then in the doctoral program, after doing a set of coursework, of course, but but that helped a lot. Um, they're having such such brilliant people around me. And my fellow students as well. So mm -hmm. it was, um, Baruch was an excellent experience in terms of the academic side. Mm -hmm. the, the thing that I 
that Baruch could not provide was mm-hmm. the fact that it was not um, a campus-based school. It means it was not in 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 the U.S. as you are aware. Yeah. Uh, there, there are, you know, many, most of the big most of the schools. Well, I shouldn't say most of the schools. A large number of the schools are in rural areas. Yes. And not in metropolitan cities. Mm-hmm. Now that is a decision I think most applicants should make. Mm-hmm. They should decide whether they want to go to the to a, a metropolitan area to do their studies, or should they go to a uh, to a state school in a where they yeah. are further away from the big metropolitan center right. advantages to, to each one of them um, yeah metropolitan area the um, I had a full scholarship and all that but I quickly realized that being in New York City even that sp- full scholarship could only take me so much you know could, could do so much for me yeah and and basically it's very expensive everything is expensive in, in New York right. and uh, as somebody had told me before I had left India to come to New York, is that, um, remember, New York is New York. New York is not America. And it's, it, it, is, it has its own vibe. It has its own pace in which things work. And it is ex, you know, really, really, or expo, uh, really expensive uh, to find yeah. an apartment and things like that. So those are choices that students have to make um, whether to be in rural or in the rural areas you can you can live uh, you know the cost of living is much lower mm-hmm. than as compared to to the more uh, uh, the expensive metropolitan cities but the thing to consider is once you finish your degree then you might want to move into those bigger cities or the suburbs of bigger cities where the jobs are right so what did you end up specializing in i mean as you went through your PhD program, or or is that do you stay pretty broad, or did you get very focused? Well, you'll be surprised because at that time, and I'm talking about thirty years ago, or twenty-five years ago, when I finished my PhD, right? Some of the things that we were working on, people are working on now, uh-huh. and and my dissertation was on group decision making and artificial intelligence. Wow! Uh-huh. So if you think about artificial intelligence, it has come a long way. Uh-huh. Because it was 25 years ago, I was working on that same area. Uh-huh. And uh, at that time, we didn't have the kind of um, uh, versatile computers, the speed of computing, the ability to store large amounts of data that we have now. Yep. And, and, but some of the concepts that are being used now had been developed 20, 30 years ago. And sure. and there was a lot of talk about artificial intelligence taking on you know taking over the world and all that, but it did not take off. You know, there was a mm-hmm. lot of venture capital uh, and and lot of interest in the business community at that time, but it somehow the research could never catch up with the commercialization of that concept. Mm-hmm. What that is one thing that has changed now twenty five years later. So my dissertation was on decision support systems. Yeah. And and artificial intelligence. No, that's I mean you know um, you are absolutely right, and I think mm-hmm. part of the AI boom is also thanks to uh, availability of lots of data, lots of interactions, thanks to right. the mobile devices and all that. So mm-hmm. it's a combination of things, um, okay. but certainly right. certainly way ahead of its time in right. the early nineties for sure. Yeah. 
That's right. So once you finished your uh, PhD, mm-hmm. um, I guess you decided to go into academics. Mm-hmm. So what did you, you know, so how did that decision happen and how was your next uh, step in that journey? Well, that is one thing that I probably should have thought about much before I applied for my doctoral program. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that most of most students and applicants should consider. Yeah. And, and that's one, one of my, the, the lessons that I learned. And mm-hmm. maybe it was a little too late by the time I realized it was, mm-hmm. remember I mentioned that when I was applying for programs, I thought I had an MBA in IS. I want to do more studies. I want to, to, to know more in this area. So the yeah. next logical thing was doing a doctoral program. Mm-hmm. What I did not realize or did not catch in my, in my, um, excuse me, in my, um, in my research of, mm-hmm. of all the institutions and the field in general is that most doctoral programs are research oriented. They prepare people for mm-hmm. jobs in academia where they can teach. Mm-hmm. They do not prepare, prepare people for um, jobs in industry. At least mm-hmm. there are, there are most, as I, I shouldn't say all, but most IS uh, doctoral programs, PhD programs, mm-hmm. they prepare people for jobs in, in academia mm-hmm. and, and not in industry because most of our research is academic research. We're trained in that. We're trained to teach and things like that. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was a logical move when I finished my doctoral program and all my faculty and, and, and my professors, they were all helping me find academic jobs. That's what's the logical, because we was prepared for that kind of a career. Sure. Um, I should have probably thought about this much earlier, well before I applied for the doctoral program. What does this degree prepare me for? Because Mm -hmm. I probably would not have gone into academia had somebody asked me that question four years before I finished. Um, Uh So because if I had known that, I probably would not have come for a doctoral uh, for for doctoral studies, I probably would have come for something like an MS in in computer science or IT. Sure. So, so that's how the transition happened to from from um, finishing my doctoral program to to moving into academia. But that seemed to be logical, and and it's, I I can't complain in the sense that I still I loved doing what I was doing. I, yeah. I I I love doing research. I I. I learned how to teach while being an apprentice in in the doctoral program. Sure. But I never thought about, you know, I always thought that I should have been in industry and I had never really thought about a career in academia before I went into the doctoral program. So those are things that people should consider. What is this degree preparing me for? Mm -hmm. Um, Is this something that I want to do for maybe the next 10 years? Maybe that next fifteen years, and not, and for me, maybe my entire career. So. Sure, sure, yeah. But lots of times, lots of times, good, you know, <laughs> good things happen when you don't, you know, over over engineer it. That's overthink true. it. Yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. yeah. So you never, you never know. You never yeah. know. I but, can't, but, I can't complain. I mean, if I think about it, it, there is also a back door. I, I'm, I'm an academic, but I also consult a lot now. So sure. I did get back into my industry side of that I wanted to do. 
Uh, I do a lot of um, consulting also in the delivery of, of educational programs and the design of master's programs and the mm -hmm. delivery of those programs. So I did get back into that uh, eventually after, after finishing my, my, my doctoral work and you know, starting my academic career. See, there you go. You got <laughs> the best of both worlds. Um, so. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So how was your first uh, teaching experience then once you finished your PhD? You went to Farley, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. I was at Fairleigh Dickinson University. That is um, um, a private school in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. It's um, about, let me see, about 20 miles, 15, 20 miles west of uh, Manhattan mm -hmm. and uh, in New York. And it's, uh, you know, Manhattan, it's across on the New Jersey side, across the river of the Hudson River onto the, in the New Jersey side. Mm -hmm. And um, so technically it's considered to be a suburb of, uh, it's in Teaneck, the one campus is in Teaneck, which mm -hmm. is considered to be a suburb of, of New York. And there was another campus in Madison, New Jersey, which was the um, in Floral Park, um, New Jersey, which happened to be the headquarters of Bell Labs back in the days, uh, sure. yeah, where most of the research took place. And that's when I started first. That was my first job, first academic job. Uh, the market, there was a market downturn at that time, so it was very difficult to get jobs. Mm -hmm. And so that was my first job, and I worked there for three years. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, my son was born in 1999, mm -hmm. and that is when I applied to um, and got a job at George Washington University in Washington, D.C., and mm -hmm. then I've been there since 19... And I've been here at Washington, D.C., at George Washington since 1999. So... Um... So tell me a little bit about, um, so, you know, so now you go from a small school to slightly biggest school. Mm -hmm. um, so how was that transition? And then, um, yeah, let's start there and then sort of dive into GWO. Yeah, I think in terms of um, schools, they were very different. Um, the, yeah. For the first job, it was a good one because Fairleigh Dickinson was more of a teaching institution. And in academia, but the way we look at jobs is that, where is this university in terms of its research component, um, teaching component, and the service component? So if, if you start thinking about academic jobs, um, you know, professor's jobs in any, any university, it's basically three parts. Your, in, your job consists of three parts. One is the research. Mm -hmm. um, the second is the teaching. And the mm -hmm. third is service. Services, you know, advising students and um, and, um, you know, going to committees, planning on, because most universities are self-governed universities, you know, they don't sure. show. So there are a lot of emphasis is on uh, faculty, staff, making the decisions, coming up with policies and self-governing the, the, the institution. Mm -hmm. and, and research and, of course, teaching are self-explanatory. You know, those are the ones that, yeah. that drive, uh, that, that are main components of our job. So, the emphasis that is placed on research, teaching, and service differs by this university. So if I was at Fairly Dickinson, the emphasis was more on teaching because mm -hmm. it's more of a teaching institution. And so mm -hmm. we had more classes to teach, but the expectations on the research side was lower. So if I could put down in percentages, I would say 
the research was 90%, teaching was, um, was about 40%, and, uh, and the other 40% was service, okay? Mm-hmm. Or maybe you can even say that teaching was 50% and service was 30%. But the research was, mm-hmm. you know, relatively, research was um, a lower priority, Small, yeah, yeah, yeah. smaller emphasis on research than teaching. And then when I moved to GW, now GW, uh, George Washington is in short called GW, and every university yeah. has a small acronym that goes with it. When it's yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So uh, sometimes, you know, get confused because people refer to it because if they are part of that university, they said, oh, I went to UH. I said, of course, UH is, and what is that supposed to mean? <laughs> so it could be it could be the University of Hartford, University of Houston. It could be. <laughs> so, uh, of Hampshire, Hampshire, <laughs> yeah, yeah. New Hampshire, yeah. Any one of those things. So, um, so GW is, um, is a research one institution. So it's in the Carnegie classification. It's the, the highest mm-hmm. classification of, of um, institutions. So it's a research one institution where the expectation for research is very high. So mm-hmm. there, it was a big change from Fairly Dickinson, but that was what I had been prepared for in, in my mm-hmm. doctoral program. More research with lesser teaching. And um, so here, I would say the research was about 40% of my time. And my expectation from teaching was about another 40% with very little service requirement. So mm-hmm. um, it was a big change. Um, I had to teach less, but I had to, the quality of teaching definitely was expected was higher, whereas the research output was, was much, much higher. So that was a big change um, between institutions. And um, the other big difference was, um, and I can talk about GW in general, is is that yeah. George Washington University um, is a f- what we, what I would call a full service university, which has mm-hmm. all a- areas and disciplines that you can think of, and there might mm-hmm. be some that we may miss, but maybe we don't have a dental school, but we yeah sure. we have um, an engineering school and um, a school of engineering, a school of arts and sciences, um, you know for the pure sciences. Then we have a business school for uh, a school of business that handles um, all the business degrees. We have a law school. Sure. We have a med- medical mm-hmm. school. So, uh, so, so we have, um, it's just basically a full service university. So that was also a big difference from Fairleigh Dickinson, which, which didn't have all, the, all of them, but, but had some very good business school and, and the engineering school was pretty good over there. Um, so that, that, that was the difference. And also, um, George Washington happened to be in a metropolitan area, so my mm-hmm. my whole life that I was yearning for being in a campus kind of school in the rural areas that never happened for me. Okay, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so that, that's that's my that's the difference between George Washington and uh, and Fairleigh Dickinson the transition. So now, when you said teaching, um, how much, how is that divided across undergrad and graduate students, or is that how much have you been personally uh, involved in teaching from a teaching point? Um, I teach um, generally, and any given year, I think most of my teaching is at the graduate level at this point. Um, and okay. um, I teach about we generally teach about four courses a year. And I teach okay. one course in the summer, which is undergraduate, whereas all of my other courses are graduate courses. 
And um, okay, but it was different when I first started um, as a junior um, professor, as, as an assistant professor when I first came in to to George Washington. Uh-huh. It was primarily undergraduates, and it was I was teaching all my courses were undergraduate courses, and I taught that for about three years before. I moved to mm-hmm. teaching graduate courses. And remember, at that time, as, as a 29-year-old, a 30-year-old, most of my students were, yeah. uh, undergraduate students were not much younger than me, and graduate students were a lot, <laughs> lot older than me. So, <laughs> And I, was, I used to be confused when I walked into uh, at George Washington, walking into the library. Uh, I got carded a few times, which, you know, they get carded means they ask me, okay, show me your yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are you a student? Yeah. What are you doing here? You know? <laughs> so I had to convince them I was a faculty member uh, with my GW ideas. So, so that's, that's my uh, load. Uh, it's mostly graduate classes at this point. What, um, a little bit about your, uh, what types of courses and specialization? I mean, obviously, what kind of courses did you teach and what kind of research, you know, obviously over the 20 years, a lot of, lot would have changed, but just a quick sort of overview or um, thumbnail sketch of the types of things. Um, In terms of um, teaching, I teach courses um, in systems development and software development is my area of expertise. So, and I think it goes back to that, that my research in, in AI and decision support systems and sure, things like sure. developing AI-based systems. But I didn't do that in, in, the, in the classes I teach. The, they're more traditional software development or traditional systems analysis and design, mm-hmm. what in engineering we call software engineering. And so that is my sure. area of expertise. Um, now I teach, in recent years, I've been teaching web application development, um, cloud applications, mostly in the open source uh, area, uh, mm-hmm. with PHP, MySQL, basically the LAMP stack, uh, as, as we call it. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm teaching more of the technical yeah. courses in, that, in, the, in the area. Um, that's my teaching uh, expertise and what I've done. Sure. In terms of research, my research is on the factors that it's it's more management oriented rather than technical. Um, I've done yeah. some code. I've done research in the area of code quality of I don't know, determining the sure. quality of code, but that's a very open field. It it has never yeah. there's no clear metric or there are no clear metrics yet for for code quality, and that's yeah. also because the area. The whole field is changing so fast that you know the code quality concepts also keeping yeah. up with the new programming languages, the new technologies that come along. Um, it's it's just playing catch up. Yeah, that's one. Uh, the other is in the the management side of the factors that influence technology acceptance. You know, why do I use an iPhone? Why do mm-hmm. I uh, stream? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, and what makes me accept technology and, you know, what are the, the factors that, that govern that, you know, that helps me um, sure. accept the technology. And there are, there are the obvious ones, that is how useful it is. And, um, mm-hmm. and, the, um, and, and the fact is that you, that determines whether I use the technology or not. And um, mm-hmm. the, 
other factor, there are also many psychological factors that we don't take into account. And sure. there's things, things like branding, that, that I need to be seen using this technology. I need, I, uh, I need uh-huh. this Apple Watch on my, on my wrist because yeah. <laughs> it, it is not, it's not the question of it being useful to me, but other people should see that I have one. So, you know, that kind of things also right. happen. There's also psychological factors to it. So my, the, technology, the factors that influence technology acceptance is also another area. I've also delved into organizational culture and how that influences acceptance of technology in organizations. And, um, and, and some of the, um, you know, open source acceptance or diffusion of open source technologies. So those mm-hmm. are my research areas, uh, which are, quite entrenched in the management principles. So, um, so if you were to kind of look at um, students, mm-hmm. how, you know, over the last 20 years, just uh, how, how have students changed? How do you think, do you see, obviously, you, you know, I, I'm sure there's a difference between students of 1999 and 2020. So, what, what do you think are the kinds of changes that you've seen or how has that evolved? I think universities um, have become global players just following the way mm-hmm. in which corporations and, um, have become global. And, you know, we have become right. a much smaller world in the last 20 years um, with, with terms of, and, sure. and maybe because, I don't know which one, you know, whether it's, a, the, you know, you can talk about it as like the chicken and egg problem, uh, but whether, right, whether right. the increased air travel, the, the reduced tariffs, um, with the increased movement of goods and services across nations, uh, did they drive... Um, companies becoming global or did companies become global and that and air travel and movement of people followed sure. after that. Um, but the fact is that as we have opened up, universities have become global as well. And uh, in mm-hmm. the last 20 years, we have seen the diversity of, of our student population has really increased. Mm-hmm. I think it's become yeah. a really en- enriching experience for both the students as well as for the faculty. They have, they have students from, we have students from all over the world and they're coming for all uh-huh. kinds of degrees from undergraduate, graduate, uh-huh. um, as well as um, doctoral degrees. And, um, and uh-huh. you know, they bring with them their, their, their culture, their educational systems, their, uh, their um, academic backgrounds. And, and it's, it's a really, uh, it's a melting pot within a university and you know mm-hmm. the u.s is considered to be the melting pot but it's yeah. it's also within a, it's a university itself is maybe a smaller melting pot within this bigger melting pot and it's i would i would and i'm digressing here a little bit uh, i would strongly yeah. recommend that individuals mm-hmm. and especially um, students in their in their uh, teens and 20s to spend mm-hmm. some time abroad. It doesn't have to be the US. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be Canada or North America for that matter. But do get a degree sure. abroad because it can broaden your horizons because it can change the way you think about things. It can bring a different perspective. Mm-hmm. It can make you a global citizen. And, um, and it doesn't matter whether you decide to stay there or you want to go back to your home country. 
it, it's just that it'll make you a better individual and a much more complete individual, if I may say, say so. So um, that, you know, the, in the 20 years, I've seen the movement of students, the, the, how our, stu- how our uh, student population has become more um, international, um, as well as within the U.S., very diverse. Um, uh, and it, mm-hmm. it is really uh, an enriching experience. A um, couple of final uh, thoughts I want to get from you. Um, one is, now that you're steeped in the GW culture, um, what, what, is, what do you think GW is looking for in undergraduate students? So if there are students out there listening to this, what is, what is it that GW is looking for in incoming students, undergraduates? I think GW, just like any other big um, private ins- institution or public institution, which is you know, a research-oriented institution in the, in the, in, in the U.S., is looking for mm-hmm. students with strong academic credentials. That is for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, that is somebody mm-hmm. who has done well in whichever program they have been uh, they have been studying in. If they're coming in for if they're sure. coming to GW as an undergraduate, they whether it's a science um, background with a science background or with uh, with an engineering background, have they done well? Um, in the relevant courses and academic preparation in their in their high schools mm-hmm. in their you know kindergarten through twelve k through twelve education whichever wherever they 've done it sure so they have to have a strong academic background because the foundations are very important. things move very quickly in in mm-hmm. our universities um, we do not meet right. as often a lot of work is given for the yeah. student to work on their own. So they have to be self-learners. Mm. But the most important thing is that they should, be, they should have strong academic background. The second aspect that I think mm-hmm. we are looking for is, is they have to be well-rounded individuals. You know, they mm-hmm. should have some extracurriculars. They might be interested in music. They might be, you know, they might be uh, participating in their, their local theater group or the school theater group or they play sports mm-hmm. or they play cricket or they mm-hmm. play... It's not the fact that that cricket will bring them here and that we want somebody to play cricket in, in, in the U.S., but the fact is that the ability right. to share experience with others, other people, to work together in team, the, all the things that sports teaches us, you know, sport, you know playing organized sports right. teaches right. us, you know, the ability to work as a team on a soccer field, all those things yeah. show a side of the of the students or the applicants character and and experiences yeah. and that makes that that individual more complete i think um, sure. i you know i i don't i'm not completely familiar with all aspects of undergraduate admissions but but the thing yeah. is that the more the individual does both academically and otherwise outside outside academics the more complete picture the admissions departments have about the individual. So I think the last word from you would be, I mean, I, I just, you know, uh, what, what, what would you like to share that either we didn't cover from your journey or some words of wisdom for students out there or 
um, anything else that you want to share? I think, um, I think we covered most of the things that I wanted to mention. I mean, I think I want to reiterate the, the okay. diversity in, in institutions in the U.S. And, and the same in Canada and other parts of the world as well. Mm-hmm. Not only by location. Mm-hmm. Is it rural? Is it, is it city? Is it metropolitan? That might make a big difference. And when you're choosing mm-hmm. schools, look into that. Look into the most important is your discipline. How good is the school in, in your discipline? That may be another thing to look into. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, so there's one, one other thing that I, I wanted to mention and that, that I don't think we had a chance to talk about is that um, sure. Go ahead. in places, um, in certain parts of the world, let's put it that way, in places like India and other places, when we join an undergraduate program, mm-hmm. It's kind of, it's mm-hmm. very siloed. So we, we are, once we become, we join a medical school, we are, we are going to finish as, mm-hmm. as a doctor. All right. But it is mm-hmm. here in the U.S., there's a lot of flexibility. So do not, when, even though you apply to, bec- to come here to become a doctor, or you apply as, as mm-hmm. a pre-med, not to become a doctor, but as a pre-med student at the undergraduate level. Sure, sure. Or you apply to engineering. Remember, in these full-service universities, you can easily move from engineering to business. Or you can move from business to engineering, yep. only that you'll, it'll maybe take you another extra semester to, to meet all the requirements, because all the requirements are different, by different um, in different schools within the university. So, so sure. that sure. is one thing that we never think about, especially as undergraduates in India, because once you join an engineering school, you will end up becoming an engineer at the end. But the fact is here, there is so much more flexibility. It is more focused on the student mm-hmm. rather than on the institution. So you can pick and choose what you want. You can switch um, majors. And as they say, um, and this is completely anecdotal, um, which is yeah. 80% of undergraduates change their major at least three times in their, in their four years that yeah. they're there, four or five years that they're in there to, to finish the undergraduate. And it's absolutely fine. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, no, that's a, that's a great point. That's a great point because I think the at the age of 17, 18, right. whatever yeah. that age is, a student has only so much exposure to, you know, different things that they could be doing or what they are good at or what their interests might be, et cetera. And so this whole exploration, I think, is what you're talking about when they come to undergrad. And yeah. I think that's a fantastic point. And so I think thanks for bringing people it up. should be yeah. open to it. You know, I think they should be, uh, they should understand there is flexibility and it's absolutely fine to change your mind. Right. It's, yeah. it's nothing wrong. Exactly. You can't, it's a, like you mentioned, like at 17, 18, you cannot decide what you're going to do with the rest of your life. And you could take a yeah. couple of classes yeah. in, if, you're, if you are in business and you're taking some classes in econ, and then you realize that, well, that, that coding course, that the course in Python that I took, oh, I love that, that area. It, it's absolutely fine to switch. Yeah. You are not bound to stay in that area, yeah. you know. So, so those are things that, that, that um, 
most applicants should look into. Awesome. Um, so, Dr. Dasgupta, this has been truly, truly oh, uh, insightful. And so thanks for sharing your reflections. And I think it will be extremely uh, valuable to students that are intending to come over anywhere, study anywhere. And like you, the point you made, getting out of your home country and studying somewhere, I think, is a very, very uh, good, great experience for someone to have. So um, oh, thank-, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for thank you very much for for having me. Hello again. Hope you found Dr. Subhashish Dash Gupta's journey in pursuit of his passion inspiring and informative. In addition to some very good insights about Farley Dickinson and George Washington Universities, there's some very good advice for college bound students about the kinds of colleges to target. Thank you all so much for listening to today's podcast. To stay connected with us, subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, or visit anchor.fm forward slash Alma Matters. These podcasts are brought to you by almamatters.io. Till we meet again, take care and be safe. Thank you.